the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, on behalf Nemo of Detroit, hey, we want to present these buffs to our governor, hey. Big Gretch. Throw them buffs on her face, because that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Gretch. Woo. You can find her in the press under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Throw the buffs on her face, because that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stretch. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Come on. Big Gretch and this bitch playing no roles. At Excuse all. all the cussing. That's just how I get my flow on. For real. If you want to leave the state, you can stay gone. But right now, Big Gretch said stay home. All that protesting was irrelevant. irrelevant. Big Gretch ain't trying to hear y'all or the president. How we going to take orders from a non-resident? Talking about it safe, but he ain't coming with the evidence. Uh-oh. Big Gretch got him shook now. When it's all over, you invited to the cookout. When it's all over, you deserve to get took out. Big Gretch with the bucks on on the lookout. Uh, and she doing it for Michigan, so when she hit the stand, everybody should be listening. She on that pair of bucks with the ice in them glistening. On behalf of the whole Detroit mission. Throw them bucks on her face, cause that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Throw the buffs on her face. Cause that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Big Gretch. Radio. 
for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com. Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My, uh, my guest this hour uh, spent uh, more than two decades in the Foreign Service, including a uh, uh, stint as the U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of the Marshall Islands under President Barack Obama from 2012 to 2016. And he's written a how-to book about joining the Foreign Service called How to Become an Ambassador. And uh, his name is uh, Thomas Armbruster. And... Uh, he joins me now by phone, and uh, Mr. Ambassador, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Tom. Um, Tom, this is interesting because it, it's it's set up like a how-to book, how to become an ambassador. Does that mean you want to encourage people to join the Foreign Service? I really do, and I, and I want a broader reach of applicants, you know, people from inner cities, from farm country. Um, re- the Foreign Service ha- still has a diversity problem, and I think if we can reach more people, demystify the career, and talk a little bit about what it would be like, I think we'll get more applicants. And I've been asked hundreds of questions by people about the Foreign Service, and it really boils down to what would it be like for me and my family. And and before we get to that, you say there are two ways to get into the Foreign Service. Um, one is, you know, to become a, a, a wealthy baron and, and support a political campaign and then be appointed by a, a president that you've supported um, as a reward for your contributions, or work your way up through the ranks, um, which happens more frequently. It's, these days, it's about 30 to 35 percent political, people who have worked on the campaigns or wealthy donors and so on, and about, about 65 percent or so are, are foreign service. And that goes up and down, but when you get above 30 percent, uh, the foreign service cadre really starts to get nervous and, and push back with Congress and say, you know, you really do need people that speak the languages, that have regional experience that know how to negotiate, you know, not that, not that some of the political ambassadors aren't terrific, uh, but frankly, some are not. You know, some are people that have been, no offense intended, used car salesmen and have not done foreign policy. And, um, you know, it, it does help to have career people who, who know how embassies work, who know how to connect with, with that particular uh, population you're trying to reach. You started out... Um in media as as a reporter for public radio and television and you went to uh i th- the the east you were in hawaii and you went to uh, 
the East Coast and, and worked uh, for a network affiliate on the East Coast. Um, and and I didn't I didn't mention uh, that you were born in Texas, and and then you went to Hawaii and then the East Coast. Um, what? How did you end up going into the Foreign Service? For me, it was really by chance. Uh, one day in the summer, I was 17 years old. My mom said, "Your cousin Gil, who you've never met." is moving and needs help moving. Go move boxes. And so I went, met the family, and Gil Calloway was going off to be the public affairs officer in Moscow. And um, we got to talking, and they invited me to live with them for their senior year. And so I saw this incredible life that career diplomats had. You know, they're, they were able to see Russia, and the Foreign Service Institute taught them how to speak Russian, and it just opened my eyes, and, and I thought, wow, maybe I could do this. And I never would have thought of it. It, it. it never would have crossed my mind, I don't think. And so that's why I know there are people out there, particularly after the pandemic, who are thinking, oh, maybe I want to do something new with my life. And, you know, I would say go to careers.state.gov, look at the career path that there are, the political officers, public diplomacy, and see if there's something that doesn't intrigue you, because we're really looking for generalists, people who are curious, adventurous, and believe that through international cooperation, we can get things done for America. So I know there are people out there, and, um, and, and that's kind of who, who I was trying to reach. You know, Tom, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that you didn't, you never would have thought of this if you hadn't got a, an accidental glimpse into the, the inside workings of people working in the foreign service that's because most people don't hear about diplomats unless they're being expelled from a country during a crisis that's true that's true and, and, and i don't mean to put it like that but that's that's unfortunately the case we don't hear about you know the tom armbrewsters of the world who sail into moscow in a kayak True. And, you know, that's partly on us, I think, as Foreign Service officers. The kayak story people love. I kayaked from Helsinki uh, to the Soviet Union, and the border guard almost fell off his chair. But, you know, it's up to us, I think, to explain what we do. And I found in colleges, students do get it better, especially during Afghanistan. They knew that, that there were Foreign Service people throughout Afghanistan uh, working with the military, trying to get things right. And they didn't have the misconception that it was all cocktail parties and, you know, high-level diplomacy. You know, a lot of times it's, it's you know, really working in villages, going to prisons, and, and doing kind of the dirty work to, to make sure America's business gets done overseas. But um, I think you're right, and but I think it's it's incumbent on us as, as Foreign Service officers to get the word out. And and does it help if you have a name like Arm Brewster? I couldn't help thinking Ambassador Arm Brewster <laughs> sounds like the character from an international uh, political thriller. Oh well, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, apparently, the name means crossbow in German, but um, I, I don't. To be honest, I don't think it really helped on any of my assignments. But what? What kinds of things do diplomats do aside from, 
you know, the, the cocktail party ribbon cutting ceremonial things that we often equate with uh, ambassadors and, and foreign service representatives? Sure. There, there is a lot of work to be done in an embassy. And first and foremost is the protection of American citizens. You, you mentioned if there's an earthquake or some disaster and you need to evacuate American citizens, then a consular officer is going to be on the ground, often working with the military. And, and we practice that. We, we work on that with the military to make sure we can get that right. Um, there's also the, the public affairs aspect. So we would bring jazz musicians we were lucky to have Alice Cooper come to the consulate in Vladivostok, and he did just a tremendous program with local musicians. So you try to connect in any way you can. Uh, we brought an NBA coach over to Russia and then to the Marshall Islands, and he would do clinics with the kids, you know, teaching the fundamentals of basketball, and then we would get out some of the points that, that we wanted to, uh, like eating right and you know, good nutrition and that kind of thing. And it just builds goodwill. So then when you go into the foreign minister and you say, hey, I, you know, I want you to really think about this vote in the United Nations, the foreign minister might say, oh, yeah, my kid was in that basketball program last week with you guys. You know, so you're, you're always trying to build goodwill because eventually you've got to spend some of that political capital, too. And, and uh, you know, we're not always going to see eye to eye with um, with the folks that we're dealing with overseas. You know, it's interesting when you talk about goodwill, I, I automatically think of uh, JFK when he was president and the creation of the Peace Corps, but also members of the Kennedy family, uh, literally on world speaking tours, promoting democracy and, and goodwill between the U.S. and other countries around the world. And I forgive me for putting it this way, but... It, it, we seem to be seeing so much less of that in recent years. Is it just, is it going on and we're not seeing it? Or is it just not going on to the same degree? I, I wish it would go on more. But presidential visits are so ex, it's so important. When, when Clinton came to Moscow, you know, that was probably the one and only time he was going to do that. And you get to work as a control officer to set up the most important meetings so that he's either meeting with the opposition or students or whoever will have the most impact. But there are there are hundreds of programs all the time to bring scholars and journalists and, and other people to American embassies to expose them to American issues and, and to talk about things. I noticed uh, they've been flying the Black Lives Matter flag uh, at embassies around the world, and that gets that gets discussion started. But I think every exchange is important, student exchanges. And I really do encourage people to, to get out, uh, register with an embassy if they can travel overseas. But um, I think it's all to the good when we do have people come out. And the Peace Corps, we, we work with the Peace Corps. They sort of say the Foreign Service is the Peace Corps with air conditioning. But uh, <laughs> I, I think the <laughs> Peace Corps does a great job. And and there are a lot of agencies overseas now, Department of Energy doing good work, but a lot of it is under the radar, and, and um, unfortunately, American taxpayers don't know a lot about it and, until they do go overseas and, and have a chance to see it. More about how to become an ambassador with uh, retired Foreign Service Officer Thomas Armbruster, straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More about how to become an ambassador with uh, retired Foreign Service Officer Thomas Armbruster, straight ahead. As, as I pointed out earlier in those situations where either a natural or man-made disaster occurs and, and we see a little bit about, you know, people in the Foreign Service, um, you know, being kicked out of a country uh, or being evacuated for their own safety. Um, those seem to be the events that make the most headlines. Yeah, we we had a nice uh, airlift from Alaska to Magadan, Russia, in the very early days of Russia when the Soviet Union collapsed and they were having a hard time. Uh, it was a particularly cold winter, and the state of Alaska sent oil, cooking oil and rice and vegetables, and, and uh, it was really cool to be part of that, to get the, the Russians to agree, for one thing, uh, for that relief flight to come. But I, I knew it made an impact, and to be part of something like that, um, the, the service aspect of the Foreign Service really becomes more meaningful, I think, as you go in. You know, you may join as a policy wonk or, or for the adventure, uh, but eventually it's it's those times when you help an American business or you help an American citizen in prison that, that really uh, stay with you. When when you're working in, the, in foreign service and you're working in an embassy, either as an ambassador or just a member of the, of the staff, how formal or informal are relations between the members of, of an embassy staff and local dignitaries and local citizens? It depends on the size of the mission. And, for example, in Paris, I think you would have people that work in the embassy, do their job nine to five, and then the weekends they go off and do their own things because there's just so much to do. But in a small post, you know, in, in a place like Tajikistan, you really get to know everybody, and there'll be darts night and things like that. And um, you also get to know the foreign minister. In, in the, of course, the Marshall Islands is really small, but um, I would often go out with a minister fishing or, um, you know, scuba diving or something like that. And, and it, it, when you get to know somebody offline and, and away from, uh, the embassy or the foreign ministry, and you break down some of the barriers and get to know their families, uh, you can often make more more progress and more headway. So, um, you know, I would socialize with, with the Japanese and, and uh, Taiwanese ambassadors in the Marshall Islands as well and, and have them over. But when you do have a cocktail party, you're often working. You know, you are trying to push an agenda or you're trying to get some information. So um, even that part of it, um, there, there's usually a goal in mind. Are you constantly aware of that of that mission, or do the relationships between um, people in the foreign service and the locals uh, does it ever become informal enough that that you can talk off the record and and talk about things like you mentioned the Black Lives matter banner flying in foreign countries um you know that's it's an interesting thing it, it's nice to see people supporting that that effort but it also says something kind of 
dark about the U.S. and and our problems with race. Um, how candidly can you discuss those things with people when you're in the Foreign Service? I think your job is really to explain the spectrum of thought on an issue so that you can say, now, on the left, you know, people think this way, you know, and then on the right, they think that way. But the administration's <laughs> line, and that's really, that's what you're paid to do, you know, is is to enunciate the, that current administration's policy as well as you can. So you you do have to toe that line, I think. And I certainly worked for Republican and Democratic presidents, and you're always able to advance America's agenda overseas, but I'm kind of struck by what a luxury it is not to have to fight the cultural battles or the, you know, the Democratic and Republican battles overseas. You can really try your best to represent the U.S. as best you can and um, and do things that are that are good for the American people. So um, in that respect, it's kind of a luxury, I think, to be able to work on policy issues, but then not get too bogged down with the uh, well, not get bogged down with partisanship. Now, I mentioned you were born in Texas and you worked in Hawaii for a while. You were in the East Coast uh, for a while. It, it sounds to me like you liked moving around and, and going to different places before you got in the Foreign Service. But is that one of the draws, the, the many places that you visited during your 20-plus years? Absolutely. Yeah. I, and after I left the Foreign Service, I joined the Inspector General's office and was able to travel to Mauritania and Nepal and Bangladesh. I'm, I'm definitely hooked on that. Um, but I will say that for, for families, it can be a little bit difficult with kids moving that often. You know, for me, I'm a goner. Three year, four years is my maximum any place. So that's just <laughs> the way my life is. But I, you know, with my kids, they were really different. Brian would get out of the car on the first day and go knock on doors and make friends. And for Kalia, you know, it'd be a wrenching experience to move from one place to another. And I said to her one time, you know, sorry, kiddo, if your life was kind of tough that way growing up. She said, Dad, you know, I cried every time we moved because I loved every place we lived. So oh, I that's think in nice. the end, yeah, it was really nice. And, and in the end, you really do give give kids a, a good, broad exposure to the world um, through the Foreign Service. And schools tend to be good. Um, they often have the International Baccalaureate Program. And even Brian, who kind of rebelled because we moved him in his freshman year of, of high school, uh, he got to Moscow. And after about a week, he realized, wait a minute, uh, I can ride on the subway here. My my next soccer tournament is in Belgium, you know, and I've got these <laughs> great friends from all over the world who don't treat me as a new kid because they're all new kids. So um, I, I can endorse it for families, but there's probably going to come a time in your career when you will have to serve overseas unaccompanied, you know, in, in a conflict zone or someplace like that. What is the recruitment like for the Foreign Service? What is the process you go through and what kind of training? You mentioned, um, you know, that it's good to, to know some foreign languages, but Americans, less than most citizens of the world, don't speak a lot of languages. That's true. Uh, it's not a requirement. 
uh, and the way we recruit is through diplomats and residents. Uh, they're located throughout the United States, and, and you can go to careers.state.gov and find the diplomat and residents nearest to you. But it, there's a pretty long competitive process. There's a, a written exam, then you write an essay, eventually you'll get to an oral assessment, and then a security background investigation, et cetera. But as I said, I really think what they're looking for is somebody who they can they can talk to and get a sense that if there is a crisis, if there's an earthquake, this person that is applying for the Foreign Service job is going to do the right thing, is going to support the ambassador, and is going to be able to get the job done under pressure. And I think a lot of people can do that. Um, but but it is you can go through the whole process with careers.state.gov. We also have internships, but it's a pretty small uh, cadre. You know, it's not like the military. And, and I wish it were bigger so that everybody could experience, you know, people could spend a year or two working in an embassy uh, to see what we do. But, um, but but there certainly are opportunities, and I, I know the State Department is committed to diversifying and, and, and having a foreign service that represents and looks like America. So I, I do hope that anybody who hears this and thinks it's intriguing will uh, will go online and check it out. Is, is there a, a job description or uh, certain skills or traits that that are required that that people should have to be considered yeah and and there are different career paths so you could be a consular officer looking out for american citizens and adjudicating visas you could be a political officer and they're the ones working with the foreign ministry and and really understanding the politics of the country they're assigned to economic officers who are supporting businesses and and looking for trade opportunities and um, public diplomacy, the people making those connections uh, through art and music and however they can with the local population. And then the admin officers who rent the buildings and pay the local staff uh, and, and really keep things going. So there are, there are, there are different opportunities, different avenues for people with different interests, but in general, they are looking for people that, um, that are motivated, that can negotiate, that um, uh, there are about 10 traits that they, that they look for uh, in an employee, and you can find those on the website as well. But um, if, if you like a challenge, it's nice that every assignment is different. You learn either a new language or a new set of problems, and um, you're always going to be engaged and, and um, learning something new. Is there such a thing as a typical day at the embassy? Not really. Usually, <laughs> there's the the press of business is enough that uh, you know you there's always going to be something going on some some new visitor some new crisis. Uh, so I I like that and and that was a bit like journalism too where you never know what the story is going to be when you come to work. Um, so no, I, I don't think there's really a typical day. Are, are there places that um, that need foreign service people, uh, places that, that are tough to get people to go to? I mean, you mentioned there are Paris. Some places. You mentioned Paris and Moscow and the Marshall Islands. and These all sound like kind of romantic places to, to <laughs> be able to be at and see. But I, but I have to think there are some places where, you know, you almost have to do something wrong to get sent there. Yes, 
and uh, <laughs> and it, it's funny though that people are attracted to different things. At at one point, for me, it sort of came down to Barcelona or Vladivostok, and I thought, well, Barcelona, I could go on a tour, you know, and but Vladivostok, that is pretty cool. I'm not going to have that chance again. So it depends on the type of officer you are, but there's something called fair share where they expect if you do go to Paris, your next tour is going to be a tougher assignment. And um, so they, they they like to see some regional balance. They they don't like you to go to the same country all the time. They, they want you to diversify. Um, luckily, the United States believes in universality. That is that we think we should have representation everywhere in the world. And I, I really think that's true because no matter where you go, there are Americans who uh, are doing business there or traveling there. And um, so I think it's good that, that the U.S. Has, has a big presence in the world. And then we've tried to rebalance under Condoleezza Rice. You know, she said we probably don't need the consulate in uh, Lyon or something like that, but we sure need some people in these big cities in China like Wuhan. So um, the Foreign Service continues to evolve and, and hopefully meet the needs of people overseas. But uh, there are going to be times when you're going to have to do things that are challenging, and, and uh, you are going to have to do a consular tour where you adjudicate visas. And some people don't like that, but you need to learn how to say no, and you need to learn uh, about the country from everybody's perspective, you know, you're going to interview students and farmers and businessmen. And I think uh, uh, requiring a consular tour is actually a good thing. The ambassadors, as we mentioned earlier, are usually, they're political appointees, whether whether it's uh, a reward for uh, support during a, a presidential campaign or it's somebody who's worked their way up and catches the eye of, of a president or a president's staff and, and gets nominated. Um, and they are the ones most definitely charged with carrying out the president's agenda. But how tough is it on the, the regular staff um, as they move from ambassador to ambassador, different ambassadors have different styles. Is is there some sense of uh, autonomy in in the uh, staff positions at embassies, um, and and how much are they listened to by the person in the top spot? That's a, that's a good question. One of the things that really works well overseas is what we call the country team. Uh, in Washington, you've got an interagency process, but it can be very fractious. And overseas, you tend to know everybody better. Uh, you tend to work pretty well together. And so when you have the, the military attache, the Department of Energy rep, the Treasury rep, uh, you know, and some of the Foreign Service people advocating to the ambassador, usually they do a pretty good job of, of making their case and then coming to some consensus about the way forward. So I think you feel like you do have agency there. Uh, there's a dissent channel. If you really disagree with a policy, you can you can write into the State Department and, and say why you disagree with a particular policy. And then the other thing that really provides continuity is the local staff. The Russians just unfortunately kicked out all the, the, the local Russian staff in Moscow and, and Yekaterinburg, and, and um, uh, that's unfortunate because the – the local staff that we have as 
political advisors and as as uh, consular assistants and so on, they really help us when we kind of parachute in for our two or three years by telling us the context and and explaining who's who in government. So we we couldn't do the job without the locally engaged staff. Uh, we really rely on them. But I think in general, to to your question, it's pretty much a a place where we do work by consensus, and even junior officers are going to be listened to. In, in fact, there's that, that's mandated by the State Department that the ambassador and the deputy chief of mission meet with first and second tour officers and get their opinions. Um, Tom, I read somewhere that uh, you were... Um You nominated the 2014 Civil Society Speaker to to the United Nations uh, delegates. How, what was that all about? Well, that that was Kathy Jetnell Kitchener, and she's on YouTube with a beautiful poem called uh, "Dear Matafeli Painem." Uh, the Marshall Islands is an atoll country, so it's a it's a country that is only six to ten feet above sea level on average. And if sea level rise really happens around the world, which, you know, it, it, it is, um, it, that threatens their very existence. And so uh, Kathy Jetnell Kitchener gave a poem about what sea level rise means to her baby, her infant. And the United Nations delegates gave her a standing ovation, the first one since Nelson Mandela. She just had a very impactful poem. And... I was I was very happy to nominate her. I'd seen some of her other poetry and uh, was just knocked out by her. But um, you can have a look. But the thing is that during that time, the Obama administration for us, climate change was a big issue. And now, of course, it's back on the on the table again. And so we were looking for ways to support our position going into into the next round of the Paris talks. That uh, that this is an important issue, and we've got friends like the Marshall Islands, who really need America's and the world's help to uh, be resilient in the face of climate change. And we sort of owe the Marshalls because that was the scene of '67 nuclear tests. So uh, they've they've paid kind of a uh, heavy price during the Cold War for being an American ally, and I think we we owe it to them to do what we can uh, to help make sure that that they're not wiped out by sea level rise. There are a handful of, of things that, that are going on um, in the U.S. that I think of as, as distinctly American. The idea of fake news and alternative facts and climate deniers and, and people who don't trust uh, the government and, and various agencies and experts, whether they're from... Uh, the government or from science and research centers is that uniquely american or is that uh, are those trends happening globally i, th I think these everything these days happens globally you know when we look at the pandemic and how that spread i think we really realize how interconnected we are uh so i i think that is global but i i also think that there's um, there's a global movement to find out more facts. Uh, for example, with uh, with President Putin, you know there there are groups that have gone after his finances and 
and things like that. So it's it's a world of information, and we do have to be good consumers of it, uh, smart consumers of information. But yeah, there is something troubling, uh, a troubling aspect about the uh, the non facts and denying denying science and things like that. Um, you know, it's it it certainly keeps us all in business. Well, the, yeah, that's true, and. Tom, I am enjoying this conversation so much, and and we're uh, started. We're actually getting close to the end of our time, but um, but I do always ask guests to. Uh, oh, hang on. Had a little short there in my microphone. Um, okay. But I do always ask guests to share with listeners where they can find out more about you and about what we've been talking about and, and your work and, and maybe what's next for uh, for Tom Armbruster. Do you have a website? Oh, well, thanks. Um, they can find information about me on the bookbaby.com site. That's where the, uh, the book, How to Become an Ambassador, uh, resides and um, but I think for people interested in the State Department and the Foreign Service, uh, careers.state.gov is a great website for internships, information about the careers, and how to take the test to become a Foreign Service officer. Uh, so those are a couple great resources. And then those uh, diplomats and residents. If you find the diplomat and residents in your area, uh, they give speeches. They're uh, on panels. And they're a great resource as well to find out more about the Foreign Service. Well, Tom, thank you so much. Uh, in, in fact, I, I will just once uh, uh, again say, uh, Mr. Ambassador, thank you for spending this time <laughs> and sharing some stories, uh, not just this morning with me and, and the listeners, but, but in your book. And uh, thanks for your service. Tom, thanks for your interest and, and really great to talk to you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye now. Again, that was uh, Thomas Aaron Brewster. He's the author of uh, the new book, How to Become an Ambassador. And uh, he served um, for more than 20 years as uh, in the Foreign Service, including a stint from 2012 to 2016 as the ambassador to the Marshall Islands under uh, President Barack Obama. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight Citizens. 
Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. There's a book written called Psychological Studies of Famous Americans, and it examines from a psychological viewpoint uh, Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant and uh, Walt Whitman, people like this, and tries to explain in terms of psychology why these people acted the way they did, that they really did not act from, uh, from valor or anything else, that there were deep psychological problems these people had, and that's why they reacted the way they did. One person they skipped that I thought would be a great subject for analysis, if they had analysis when he was around, was uh, Ben Franklin. I think he... <laughs> I think this man is ripe for analysis. So this is uh, Ben's analyst, and he's in a typical analyst's office. He has an, uh, a, a desk and a chair and a couch and an intercom. Yeah, uh, who, who, uh, who is it, Murray? Ben, ben Franklin. Um, can, I, uh, can I duck him, Murray? He's, he's standing right there in the office. He's, he's dripping all over the rugs. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, send him in, Mary. Uh, uh, Mary, how, how's he doing on his account? Uh, th- three months behind, huh? Yeah, he's, he's thrifty, all right, Mary. He's... All right, send him in, send him in. Well, hi, hi there, Ben. How are you today? Good. Ben, you want to you lie down on the couch there? Uh, ben, you want to put some papers down on the couch so <laughs> don't uh, don't get the couch all wet. Well, I'd, I'd say from the looks of our clothes, we've been uh, flying the kite again in the rainstorm, right, Ben? <clears throat> okay, Ben. Um, we copied down our dreams, did we? Mm-hmm. You, you didn't have to. It's the same one. You're, you're walking down the street, and you, you find a half dollar, and your face is on it. <laughs> that's, that's pretty sick, Ben, you know that? <laughs> Washington has the same dream, only he sees his face on paper. Huh? Do you want to you want to give George my number, uh, Ben? <laughs> okay, Ben. Let's let's see if we can't get to the bottom of this kite fixation thing. Um, the uh, the lightning knocked you down again, uh, did it, Ben? <laughs> you're you're not surprised by that, though, are you? I mean, you you expect it to knock you down, don't you? <laughs> you know, Ben. Uh, you being a founding father and all, you know, it, uh, it doesn't exactly inspire confidence in people to see a, you know, a grown man flying a kite, you know. <laughs> it's too bad it, it, it isn't something a little more private, you know, you could, you could do in the privacy of your own room, like uh, spinning a top, you know, <laughs> some, something like that. You ever, ever thought of spinning a top, Ben? Would, wouldn't knock you down. Hmm? <laughs> 
That's, that's important to you, is it, Ben? Mm -hmm. Okay, let, let me see if I have the picture now, Ben. Uh, <clears throat> you're flying your kite, all right, Ben? And you're letting out the string. Everything's the same as usual. There's, there's something different this time. You, you use strips of cloth for the tail. Red, white, and blue strips of cloth. <laughs> where'd, uh, where'd you get the red, white, and blue strips of cloth, Ben? From, from Betsy Ross. <laughs> she, she's got plenty of it. She, she's up to wearing it, Ben? <laughs> now, uh... Be uh, Betsy gave you the cloth, did she, Ben? You, you took the cloth. A, a penny saved is a penny earned. <laughs> why, uh, 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 why didn't you ask uh, Betsy for the cloth, Ben? She thinks you're a sissy because you wear bows on your shoes. <laughs> and, and she chased you down the street yelling... You're not thrifty, you're cheap. <laughs> she, uh, she could have something there, Ben. Not, nothing, nothing, Ben. Mm -hmm. why, uh, why didn't you uh, pay Betsy uh, for, for the cloth, Ben? Keep what is dear to you if, if you would prosper. Mm -hmm. Ben, I, I think we can get a lot more done if, if you drop the little homilies after, after each, uh, each statement. Ben, we don't seem to be getting anywhere with, with a kite thing. Uh, let's switch to something else. How, how are the inventions uh, coming along, Ben? You, you got lucky this morning. You, you don't have to wear your bifocals anymore. The, the lightning fused your glasses to your eyeballs. <laughs> What, uh, what are you going to call them, Ben? Con contact lenses. <laughs> ben, I, I, uh, I sure would like to be more optimistic about your condition, but uh, <laughs> afraid I'm going to have to recommend a shock treatment, Ben. Uh, I, don't, I don't like to do it because there are always uh, undesirable side effects. Well, what, what we do, Ben, is uh, we stick you inside the Liberty Bell and, uh, and we, <coughs> we uh, ri ring it a couple times, you know. Well, uh, the problem is you, you, you quiver for about two or three years, you see. <laughs> ben, I'm afraid our time is almost up. We'll see you uh, next, next Thursday, then. Right. Goodbye, Ben. You get him, Mary? He ran out, ran out already, huh? <laughs> this was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
faces too I see them bloom Oh, for me and you And I think to myself What a wonderful world I see skies of blue And clouds of white The bright blessed day Oh, the dark sacred night And I think to myself What a wonderful world The colors of the rainbow So pretty in the sky Are also on the faces Of pretty people going by I see friends shaking hands Saying how do you do What a wonderful
don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.